Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. April in the garden. So, Chris, what are we thinking about for April? My word, yes, April comes around very quickly, and it's always always a mixture weather-wise, isn't it, Peter? uh, Definitely. Spring is in the air, and um, sometimes it's a storm, and the next day it's a lovely sunny day. Yep. Those, those, I would say those spring showers can catch us unaware, but for gardeners, it's a great time. It's warming up. That's the most important thing. Mm. I think one of the best things about gardening, Chris, is it, in a way, it's a bit like painting or uh, a lot of hobbies where you get a blank canvas sometimes or maybe an established canvas and you just want to change something. So sometimes you might want to maybe create a new border. Indeed. And isn't it in gardening that your garden is never finished? That's what they always say. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a perfect time of, of creating new borders or basically maybe adding to an existing border or just revamping an existing space you have. And of course, as we're in the month of April, the soil's nice and warm now, uh, hopefully. We've had a little bit of rain, but not too much. And the soil conditions are really good for planting a whole host of things, including a lot of evergreens. Okay. What sort of things should we be thinking about if we want to create a new border? I guess mm. same as normal, start with the soil and put some compost. And Indeed, yeah, and have a look at the, I mean, if it's a new border, have a look at the aspect as well. See how much sun's going to actually hit the soil. Um, that's quite important because obviously certain plants need specific sort of conditions. So if you're on a nice sunny border, then obviously you'll you'll have a much wider choice of plants and you might be restricted if it's, if it's shady. But there again, come to the garden centre, most plants these days are labelled in such a way that they'll always indicate which conditions they need. And also think about your soil. Uh, obviously, North Buckinghamshire, we're on, on uh, Buckingham clay, Yeah, like it or it's not. Bit, uh, it's not great for growing plants sometimes, is it? No, so it might need a bit of extra TLC to get it improved. Um, and then, yes, yeah, stab out. Just decide from what you want to get from the board. Do you want a, a nice display of flowers? Do you want a, an evergreen backdrop which looks good all the year round? Do you want to inject lots of fragrance? Do you want to make the border mixed? So you're going to put in things like roses, shrubs, perennials. Um, yeah, just question exactly what you want. And of course, we we all get inspiration, you know, whether it's watching, I don't know, Gardener's World or reading through our, our gardening columns in the newspapers and magazines. Just, you know, sit down, sit down with the family as well. Talk what, about what you'd like as a, as a collective. Excellent. Okay. And um, obviously... One area of the garden that I can remember when I was at Pershaw, there was a part of the course and it had a whole big module on roses. Mm. I know at the school I can remember there was a lovely rose garden and in the summer you go through the rose garden and it was very ornate and regimented, but the flowers were lovely smelling, uh, sort of blooms. And are, are roses still something we should be thinking about? And obviously, are they as popular as they were to- 20, 30 years ago? Indeed, and I think they're having such a resurgence over the last few years. Um, okay. I mean, in the 1960s and 70s, they were incredibly popular. They sort of waned a little bit in the 80s, and sort of mid-90s, I think that was the, the crucial time when you had people and growers like David Austin and Peter Beals showing those amazing displays at like the Chelsea Flower Show, and suddenly we were into a whole sort of gamut of new types of roses, the shrub roses as they they're called okay because you know, a lot of plantings these days as in borders you quite quite often see you know, roses in mm. the, in the borders and um they're not so much sort of big old formal rose gardens where you just have roses in that bed it, uh, and 
Is there anything we need to be thinking about this time of year with regards to roses? Yes, well, all the pruning should all be done now, now and it's really keeping your roses in tip-top form. So it's all about, yes, you know, giving them a feed if you haven't already fed them, give them a, a nice granular fertiliser. And then obviously look at the, the general health of your roses. Um, incredibly greedy are our roses when you plant them. I mean, they take a lot of nutrients up. And if you think about when you prune a rose back in, in February, March, it puts all that extension growth, which flowers... Many rose varieties are now what they call repeat flowering. So you get one flush yep. followed by a secondary flush. So in between, you to give them some extra feed as well. All this growth, of course, is a wonderful magnet to pests and diseases. Right. And uh, with regards to the fertiliser, are we going farmyard manure or grow more or mm, yes. fish blood and bone? What, what's the go-to <laughs> one? I mean, Top Rose is a product that springs to mind. Perfect. Presumably is... Yep. specific to roses it is it's very much so it's the it's the rolls royce of fertilizers if you're going to give your roses uh, if you like your roses that much certainly top roses up there uh, obviously formulated it's got all the what they call the trace elements it's got manganese and boron all the other bits and bobs which roses need however there's products like vitax q4 on the market which are particularly good and blood fishing bone is, is actually fine but i think you've got to think about because of this massive amount of growth they put on if you can give them a nice balanced food um, with, with all these micronutrients and uh, trace elements, you'll find your roses are prolific, they're nice and green and healthy, and that, of course, will deter a lot of the pests and diseases as well. Brilliant. Chris, we sell masses of bedding plants in cell packs in uh, here. Is it about this time of year, or are we still a bit early for planting bedding at the moment? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, most of the bedding plants, or seasonal plants as we like to call them, tend to come in, in in March and April. But of course, it's the hardiness of each of those plants which we have to look upon to see whether we can actually plant them out a lot of the early uh, things like your fuchsias your geraniums we would stock in as little plug plants which would need a little bit of protection uh, from the frost however um, certainly in, uh, in the last few weeks we've had things like antirhinums in stock snap yeah good old snapdragons i remember growing those as a child because um am i allowed to say this uh, mm-hmm. you pick the flower off and you yep. squeeze it that's it and it goes snap and as, a ch- <laughs> as a sort of six seven year old boy i was very pleased with that my brother and i used to run around the garden <laughs> chasing each other with our little dragons <laughs> excellent excellent memories yeah of course um but there are other other plants in that that sort of grouping um even the likes of alisum and lobelia are, are deemed as quite tough uh, it's only when you get into things like begonias and petunias, um, gazanias, and some of the other more tender varieties, marigolds especially, good old French and African marigolds, they have to hear the word frost and they'll they'll curl their toes. So and My favourite plant, the gerbera, that, that's one that's probably best yes. left a little bit longer. But yeah, indeed. Yeah, no. So those, yes, you need to be thinking about those. I mean, obviously, um, some of the, the bedding plants we get these days, things like uh, cosmos, I mean, they're incredibly popular. I'm sure we're all familiar with those big sort of daisy, daisy yeah, yeah, flowers. Yeah, aren't they? Um, and uh, it's interesting that one one question we do seem to get asked at the garden centre is about uh, how to keep them nice and compact. Okay. And are there any tricks that you can give us for bedding plants and sort of keeping them compact? I know one of the projects I did was growing dwarf sunflowers mm-hmm. many years ago, and that was to do with the seed, and it, it was a new variety that had been bred for bedding mm. purposes. Yep. And so rather than getting a normal six-foot tall... It only got to about 
I'm going to say three foot tall. Mm. Mine, mine only probably got to two foot tall. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. what, what, what tricks and uh, what, what keeps the bedding plants these days uh, yeah. a bit smaller? Yeah, I mean, yes, the variety, choosing the varieties is important. I think Cosmos Sonata is the one we tend to have at the Garden Centre. And you can buy the seeds of it, but when you grow it in your greenhouse, it tends to get quite long and leggy. Now, the commercial growers that will actually put uh, use a chemical. Um, it's basically a, a, a growth reduction chemical called cyclocell, or sometimes called B9. And that stops the cells from, instead of etiolating, it makes them go uh, horizontal. So for the um, <laughs> novice who doesn't understand that technology, <laughs> that means it goes sideways rather than up. Yeah, so you get short, stubby little plants Excellent. rather than tall, lanky Sunflower-type flowers. Okay. And it works really well, but of course, us gardeners can't get hold of those sort of products. So the best thing we can do is to actually uh, nip the growing tips out, rotate the growing tips out of your little bedding plants to make them bush up at a youngest stage. Okay, and that's not going to affect the number of flowers they have? Nope. Can you get a multi-headed sunflower if you did that to a sunflower? You could, yes. It would become basically a multi-stemmed plant. It would do that. And with things like Cosmos, and there's quite a lot of the bedding plants, that actually is better for the smaller garden anyway, because you'll get more flower. Uh, All right, it'll be delayed probably a few weeks, but that's not a problem. I mean, we often suggest doing that for things like fuchsias and geraniums anyway by pinching out to keep the plants nice and compact. And I think that's important, especially when you are limited for, for space. Brilliant. Thanks for that tip, Chris. Plants that are flowering seems to take a lot of energy. Is, is that a good rule of thumb there, Chris? And it presumably is. when you're, you've got your flowers in full bloom or your plants in full bloom, should I say rather, you should be feeding them? You should, and yeah, I suppose at this time of year, when things, especially spring flowering plants like your camellias, your rhododendrons, even your forsythia, uh, which is looking great in our gardens, you know, presently, and um, that just needs that extra feed. And the, the general rule of thumb is, yes, you should feed them uh, usually directly after flowering. However, things like camellias, especially, and maybe rhododendrons in pots, which a lot of people grow them on their their patio or terrace, they will actually benefit from a nice uh, ericaceous feed. Um, and obviously ericaceous feeds for those not in the know it's all about what the product contains to get the best from that soil because obviously they are lime free plants so you don't want to be giving them additives to the to the fertilizer which is going to cause problems later on and the other thing you might want to look at with your camellias especially is that in a pot they can go quite yellow or you get these sort of yellow markings to the uh, to the leaves and sometimes brown sort of splodges okay um, sometimes it's the lower leaves, but it can actually affect the whole plant. And that's generally meaning that the plant is a bit sickly. And uh, because it's a, a, an ericaceous plant, it needs extra iron. So it's a bit uh, it's a bit like us. Sometimes we need a bit of extra iron in our uh, supplements. Yep. Uh, exactly. So you get yourself some sequestrian iron, tonic, uh, sachet or a, a spoonful of that in your watering can. And that should sort the problem out. It'll green the plants up really well, very, very quickly. Brilliant. We've had quite a few days with some really high winds recently and obviously spring's the time for spring showers and that can really soak the ground and obviously that can batter plants a bit, can't they? Can't can't it, Chris? Is that something we should think about? Yeah, especially your your, your perennials which are popping through now. I was looking around my garden the other day and things like peonies are starting to to pop through. So it's always worth trying to get some, some sort of staking around the plants nice and early. Okay. 
Now, from memory, there's like these sort of rings with grids in them. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that really describes them well. And they basically adjust to the height of the plants as they grow. So you put the, the rods in and then, uh, yes, you just bring the, uh, the, the the ring through, pop the, the, the shoots through those. And then as the plant extends, then you just move the, the ring up to give the plant nice, good support right through. Obviously, it'd be early plants started to grow now but a little bit later on in the incident to may next month and beyond you might have to start doing that sort of process for things like uh, solidago um, coreopsis some of those uh, things like delphiniums which produce those amazing towering stems yep. those might just need a little bit of protection early on with a with a state that's a good idea chris and i know in the garden i've seen um quite a few people who make these wigwams out of is it old hazel twigs mm, yes hazel sticks yes and what's that for yeah, I mean, you can use willow as well. Um, yeah, it's just a naturalistic way of, of, of using your, your material in your garden, especially if you grow, if you coppice your hazel back. But bear in mind that obviously hazel is a living thing. So if you use them as, as uh, sticks, there's a good chance they're going to grow and root. Ah, yeah, so is, is it best to sort of leave them, cut them and then use them the following year I, rather than... <laughs> Cut them and stick them in the ground straight away for your new wigwam. I think you'd be tempting fate if you did it straight away. So yes, leave them and let them dry out a little bit and then you'll have some nice natural material which obviously has not cost you anything. You've recycled or upcycled from your garden and you'll have something which will look very naturalistic too. And you can use that then for all your your uh, top-heavy plants during the, during the summer. Give them some good wind protection. That's Perfect. Good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, over the last few years, there's been a big push to create areas in your garden which are wildlife friendly and certain things we can do to help the wildlife and the birds and the bees. So I noticed uh, in my mother's garden, she often leaves her hydrangeas to sort of go, all go brown and look a bit dead. <laughs> why, why would she be doing that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good point. A lot of people do do that. And it's all about protecting the the top of the plant. Okay. So you're using that uh, that skeletal um, sort of foliage yep. through the winter, and it in a way it acts like a little sort of canopy. To so stop it makes it. its own little mi- microclimate above that, the hydrangea. Uh, yeah. Sort of on the hydrangea. Stem. Basically, yes. Keeps yeah. it a bit warmer. That's a good yeah. idea, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's always a bit contentious how, when you come to actually snip those uh, those mop heads off. And when would you recommend it? Is that something we should be doing now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, take a look at the weather forecast. I mean, I think April's going to be, be a little bit variable, to say the least, long-term-wise. So if it's looking like we're going to get some late frost, I perhaps would leave it another two or three weeks. Yeah, because we can, just thinking about the sort of microclimate, it looks like forecasted snow showers um, in a week's time or so. So mm. I guess yeah. April, yeah, yeah. It check the be. weather forecast before yeah. chopping your hydrangeas yes, yeah. and tidying up the but, but when you do chop them, um, leave them around the garden. So if you've got an area, just let, leave them around because, again, anecdotally, and from my observations as well for birds nesting, they tend to take the, the uh, those amazing sort of structures from the mop okay. and use them for, for bedding material. Wow, that's really interesting. Last weekend I was in the allotment, Chris. And, mm. um, oh, good. First time this year to really get down there and get stuck in. Mm. I took the rotavator down. Excellent. And started attacking the beds and <laughs> my weeds. Oh, right, okay. Am I doing the right thing? You, what, what, what do we need to be thinking about vegetable-wise? Because I, I know this time of the year I I generally start planting things up. And I, yep. I, I took my potatoes home a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago and mm-hmm. uh, in egg crates um, in the conservatory just growing. Well, they're, they're starting to chit now. Um, Perfect. 
Can I plant my sweet corn? So, oh, no. yeah. So we're, this time of the year, it's more of the, the tender sort of veg, like your sweet corn. Um, okay. You can start putting those into, into seed trays or into pots. I mean, actually, seed, um, sweet corn always best, does best if you put like a couple of seeds per, per pot. So nine centimeter, three and a half inch pot. Yep. Good quality compost. Um, pop those on the windowsill. Um, although some of the gardening books tell you to, to take both of them out, I always let both germinate and grow yeah, at each, yeah. each planting station. But yes, your, your cucumbers as well, if, you, if you're growing cucumbers, especially the, the more expensive F1 hybrid varieties, um, like Pepinex and uh, some of the, the more compact varieties where you just get uh, a very small fruit, they can be can be sown now. And of course, your tomatoes, it's not too late at all to get your tomatoes sown. And get those on there, but but basically, it's as you say, we're into the main sowing period now, so lots of things you can start uh, composing. Now, Chris, you'll probably be horrified by this. Um, <laughs> I save my cell packs so, uh, when I buy my bedding because I haven't planted it as a seed, and I've gone mm-hmm. to the garden centre and bought it. I, I I save my old cell packs in my old pots, and um, surprise, surprise, I reuse them. Great. Is that okay? Is there mm-hmm. anything I should be doing? I mean. Yeah, I think maybe just make yeah make sure they're clean. Perhaps put them under a bit of disinfectant just to to make sure they're completely clean. But no, upcycling those trays is good. I mean, they'll probably last you a couple of seasons before yeah, they yeah they yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They they yeah. eventually fall apart generally because <laughs> sort of sun damage on them from yeah. them being left floating around the garden. Yeah. But I think as gardeners, though, we are more conscious of the plastics we use in the garden. So if we can reutilize them for a number of years, then that's so much the better until they, they run out of their natural life. But that certainly, if you've got those sort of trays, if you've got the sort of 20 or 40 uh, or just a, a six-pack, uh, you can multi-sow into those things like, uh, obviously, your, your broad beans. If you want to grow those under protection, you can do that, of course. That keeps a little bit of time. But a lot of people will be direct sowing now. So as long as your soil is is a good tilth, so it's... Yep. Yeah, it's nicely broken down. You can start sowing uh, quite quite nicely right through the month of April, and uh, obviously you might want a head start by having a few things growing on the windowsill as a backup plan if uh, if things don't go quite to plan in the, in the open garden. Because there's certain vegetables that you have to do sow them every couple of weeks, uh, mm. and um, that way you get a good. Yep, successional planting, that's the term, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, and, and lettuce, I suppose, is probably the, the biggest one there. In fact, I think lettuce and maybe spring onions and perhaps radish would come under those criteria. So, yeah, don't please don't sow a whole row of lettuce unless you want to consume many, many heads uh, in, in a week. So, you know, just yeah. a few at a time of this, yep. and yep. that'll give you a good crop. Now, something um, that I learnt... I don't know, you'll, you'll probably say you don't need to do this, but I love enormous runner beans. <laughs> and in order to get them to germinate well, I soak them mm-hmm. generally in a plastic bag, sort of with some damp um, tissue paper mm-hmm. overnight, and then sew them up, the, sort of put them in the pots and the mm-hmm. compost the next day. Yep. Is that recommended? And is there any other vegetable seeds that benefit from doing? Yeah, no, anything which can help to sort of swell the uh, the seed before sowing is good. Um, sweet peas can be done that way. I've done that many times with sweet peas and even garden peas. I think it's all about, um, yeah, sort of, it's that leap of faith, isn't it? Sowing directly when the seed is, if it's, you know, it's seed which has been around for a year or two, perhaps, rather than fresh seed, that can have a bit of a an appliance on there but i think generally um if you when you are sowing just make sure the drill you're sowing into is, is well watered um, right. if you do that but no there's nothing wrong with if the larger seeds you can actually obviously give them a, a short spell in water but don't 
overdo it. <laughs> they, they yeah, because they're, they're yeah. just wrapped in yeah. mm-hmm. moist tissue paper. They're not drowned. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Ye- and remember years and years ago, when I first came into gardening, um, they used to do um, fluid drilling. Um, where okay, the that? yeah, so what they did, they pre-germinated things like parsnip seeds. So they started them on blotting paper, right? Um, and on and seed trays. So they just you'd start to see the radical, that first sort of uh, yeah, root coming down, breaks through the outside of the seed. Chain. That's it. Yep. And then what they do then is get some very safe, plain wallpaper paste and add the seeds to the seedlings as they were effectively sprouted seeds into that, and then pipe the the uh, wallpaper paste containing the uh, seeds into the drill, and they were right. they were pre-germinated. Now parsnips are a, a nightmare to germinate. Anyway, they can take six, eight weeks to to come through the soil, but this way was a, a lot more precise. It's, it's disappeared. I've never heard any reference to it recent, in, in recent years. But at the time, this was in the 1970s, it was very very popular. Because I've seen seed tapes. Mm. Um, is that a yeah. Another benefit, I mean, seed tapes, are, they're more expensive when you see them in the packets. Are they any better? Yeah, and again, I think it's just aiming at the, for, for gardeners who really don't want to pre- sow the seeds very, very thinly because they're basically at each each sort of six inches, 15 centimetres or, or less pre-marked. You have a, obviously a small amount of seed sort of fixed in this tape. So when they germinate through, they come through the soil. Of course, they're already at their regimented spacings. So, you don't so have it to does save you a bit of work. But yeah. Mm, yeah, I think you'd be probably better doing them into your, your multi-cell trays and, and starting them off and doing them that way. And then cost-wise would be, would be better. And you could have a bit more uh, uh, control over the, the, the varieties, especially because it's quite restricted, the varieties you can get in C-tapes. Yeah, because I'd give you a bit more information on my... Um... Mm, yeah, professional uh, <laughs> seed growing techniques I, I, no, no, I'm joking uh, I've got a propagator mm-hmm. that I have in um, my conservatory if it's not too hot or if mm-hmm. it's going to be a hot day I put it outside I, I don't have a sort of very fancy propagator it's just a, literally an un- unheated one mm-hmm. but I did find that last few years since I've got it it does make a massive difference yeah. to the sort of germination rate and any uh, I know historically so I can remember here grandfather covering trays of plants uh, or, or trays of pots with compost and seed in with them um, sheets of glass mm-hmm. um, is there anything else that yeah, it's it's also it's all about bringing that warmth into it and trying to keep the the uh, temperature around the, the seed a little bit higher within the pot. So yes, you're going to raise the temperature by by a few degrees. I mean, the lift in a, in a propagator can be you know just two or three degrees, which might be enough to trigger better germination, especially if you've got your propagator near on a windowsill where there's a radiator. So you're yep. getting the benefit from that. But uh, no, a, a, a propagator with a lid uh, with ventilation can make such a difference and give you that little head start which you might need on some of your crops especially things like melons aubergines peppers things which can be a little bit tricky uh, to sow and to grow on the windowsill without any 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 aids and is there a sort of best temperature for i'm going to say my um runner beans that i'm growing is it sort of 10 degrees is it 20 degrees is it 30 degrees <laughs> yeah. what's the best temperature i think with runner beans yeah i think if you're sort of sort of 15 16 degrees you're going to be pretty pretty well there but it does depend your ambient temperature in your room so if you're in a conservatory and the temperature you know even this time of the year can move up to sort of 20 30, yeah. 20 25 degrees so in your propagator that'll be plus 
probably four or five degrees. So they're getting up to 13 now. That's a bit too hot, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, that's why it's important to to vent. But of course, if you're sowing those sort of crops a little bit earlier, then proportionately your temperature might be lower anyway. So yeah, it's worth, and it's always worth getting a little soil thermometer if budget allows. Have a soil thermometer in your propagator, then you can see the actual temperature. That's a good idea. Yeah. Presumably the packets, do they give you some guidelines? Indeed, yeah, yeah. Always always follow the recommendations on the sea packet. They usually give you a, a between temperature, so try and try, try where possible to work the, to those. To work yeah, that. That's yeah. good, a good, good tip. So thinking about my propagator, obviously it's quite relatively small, so for me it's very easy to clean greenhouses. Mm. So is that the same thing you've got to pressure wash them? Do you? Or yeah, I mean, if, if, to... yeah. I mean, if you haven't already, I mean, a lot of a lot of us will have probably at the end of last season given a bit of an autumn clean. However, during the winter, especially this winter, because it's been relatively mild, although we had a fairly cold snap, you do get things like algae and, and lichens and lichens and all sorts of things growing on your wooden structures. And obviously you get uh, materials growing on your staging. So it's worth, if you can, just give the give the greenhouse another probably a spring clean, shall we say. Um, lots of good products on the, the market. Um, we used to have, obviously, the likes of Jay's Fluid. Yep. The troubles with chase food, you'd have to obviously remove everything from your greenhouse to, to use that. But there are products like... that's used as an algae side as well, isn't it? It is. From memory. You yep. can clean your paving slabs that's down it. with it to stop you slipping on your paving. Yep. Which so again, you... probably, yeah, which again, it probably doesn't do your uh, tomato seedlings. And... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, and, you know. Yeah, indeed. And obviously having to take, you know, leave everything outside the, the greenhouse whilst the weather is so variable might be might be tricky. But uh, yeah, the Agrilan uh, Citrix greenhouse disinfectants which we sell which is based it's an organic basically an organic okay. clean so citrox probably citrox. is it a lemon based one it is smells there. nice yeah you smell, yeah it'll 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 good and it, it it will clean well and obviously yeah scrub the glass remember during the winter you get uh, algae growing outside as well so make sure you clean outside as well as in and all those nooks and crannies because you might have overwintering uh, pests and diseases there as well so yeah, a spring clean. If if uh, if it was missed in the autumn, or you think it needs just another another quick uh, check over at this time, it won't do any harm at all. And that'll presumably increase your light levels if you clean all your glass, and it that's will make... beneficial for yeah all of the seedlings trying to grow. Especially doing lots of propagation is, is essential, and also uh, you know bear in mind as well you might have fittings, you might have had uh, insulation in during the winter as well. Obviously, take that, strip that out, give that a clean, ready for for later on in the year as well. Okay. So the daffodils are all out at the moment. I know driving to work, I see lots of lovely clumps of um, all the different colours of daffodil. They're not just the plain yellow ones now, are they? No, They're no, indeed. White ones, and the yellow with the sort of orangey centres. There's a good, good different array of daffodils now. Are we too late for planting the summer lilies and things like that now, or no. have we still got time? We've got time. Sort of in the last few weeks of the season. So yeah, grab, grab your your gladioli and your your begonias and your uh, you, you know the the the, the daily tubers. But actually, Peter, just going back to those those narcissi, which have been looking fantastic, haven't they? This, yeah. this spring, yeah, yeah. there's a few little things we can do for those to make sure that their display looks good next season. What's that? It's actually doing a bit of feeding. Okay. Um, now, traditionally, I remember the Royal Horticultural Society many years ago did a bit of a research whether you should cut the foliage off your daffodils or you should just uh, take the growing, um, obviously, the, the spent flowers off or you should uh, knot them, yeah, yeah. knotted daffodils. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the thoughts were they did some research and they, the, the magic number is six, six weeks. So six weeks after your daffodils fade 
Yep. Mark that onto your, your calendar, on your planner. Yep. And once those six weeks have elapsed, you can do two things. Through that whole process of that six weeks, you can give them a feed, so a bit of a, a high potash feed. So right. so sulfate of potash is our usual go-to fertilizer there. And then once that six weeks has elapsed, you can get the secateurs out and you can cut your daffodils right back to the soil. And that'll make no difference to no. them flowering next year. Yeah, it's six weeks is all the time the plant needs once that flower's faded to bulk up the bulb, and that's why it's important. In fact, it's critical we give our daffodils a, a feed. And probably easier said than done. If they're naturalised in the lawn, you're going to be feeding your lawn, yeah. <laughs> which is obviously sort of counterproductive. However, in your borders, if you've got nice borders, or if you've got them in pots and you you know you, you move your pots around in your garden. Give them a good good feed at that stage, and that will really bring the the plants into fruition for next year. That's a good tip, thanks, Chris. And okay. Something I learnt um, recently was about dividing your clumps of snowdrops up. Mm. When should we be thinking about doing that? Yep. So that's um, that that process is called uh, lifting in the green. Right. So once the, the the snowdrops have started to fade, then you can they're they're most receptive to being lifted, divided, split, and then replanted. Um, they'll establish much quicker, and it means you'll get a really good display sort of next year. So you you lift them, you split them, mm-hmm. and do you then let them sort of dry out and then replant them, or do you replant them immediately? You try and do it pretty well immediately, so have an idea where you're going to be planting them to, get the soil prepared, and obviously put a, a little dusting of some like bloodfish and bone, or, or even just a bit of bone meal, or you might use one of the, the mycorrhizal products like root grow, where yep. you're going to put them, and then maybe just slightly space them out in their new homes, and then they'll bulk up quite well. You can also use that process for... Um, winter aconite, those wonderful yellow winter aconite. Yep. And you can use the same process again in a few weeks' time when our bluebells have, have, have put on their show too. So all the really spring bulk items where we want in quantities of, of flower. So the clump, we want big clumps of them to have yep. a real big impact. And, and it, at the time is straight after the flowers. So as those flowers have started to fade, you've got a probably two or three week window to, to do that uh, that process. And you'll have some really good displays the following year. Excellent. Thanks for that, Chris. Okay. So my grass has started growing and got the lawnmower out last week. It wasn't raining and <laughs> gave my lawn the first cut. Yep. Generally, I, I, I put it on sort of not quite the highest setting, but not far off. So I'm just taking the very tops off at this Perfect. time of the year. Yes, that's right. It yeah. is. Yeah, you, you 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 don't want to be you don't want to be scalping the lawn basically. So setting the lawn is well, at that height is good. And um, how often do you normally cut your lawn, Peter? Generally in in the sort of growing season, so from maybe a month's time, mm. uh, about once a week, um, right. once every uh, 10 days. And mm. uh, mm-hmm. I know that that's my regime. I know sort of on the cricket pitches you see mm. the groundsman going out and mowing the lawn every day, two yeah. days. And yeah. I know some people leave it even longer mm-hmm. than I do and do it every couple of weeks. Yeah. Any yeah. rules of thumb as to... No, I, th- I think you've just got to let the, the, the lawn work with you, really, and obviously lifestyles as well, isn't it? But I think you've got a reasonable, regular pattern, then I think you'll you'll find that you'll, uh, your lawn will look, obviously, a lot better. It'll look a lot greener. And the trouble is, if you let it get too too high, then, of course, when you do come to remove it, even if you've got it on a lower setting... You get those yellow patches, you, indeed, which, yeah. <laughs> which looks pretty awful, really. But it's, yeah, 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 I yeah. know that's it. I know yeah. that's it. So, cause, yeah. uh, even the first time I've... It, well, with just cutting it the first time this year, there's certain areas that do look a little bit yellower than others. Yeah. But I, I try and feed it and um, 
I noticed we got a new product on the shop floor this year, Mobacter. Mm. Um, that's a more natural sort of product than okay. some of the other ones that we've got. Because I know in the autumn I generally use an autumn food, and then in the sort of spring summer I try and get rid of my moss with evergreen. Mm. This year I think I'm going to give this Mobacter a, a try. Can you tell us a bit? Yeah, so I think it works on the principle that it increases the soil's fertility, so it makes the lawn grow better, faster, healthier. Yeah, because it's an organic product yeah, as well, is, which yeah. I was really pleased to see. So it's so it sort of pushes the the moss out of the equation really because of its vigour, which okay. is really good. So yeah. it's out, it, it makes my grass outcompete my moss. Yes, wow, they, that'll yeah, be yeah, a first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's obviously is, is a problem, and obviously if you look back historically to why you might get moss in your lawn, usually it's drainage, isn't it? Or especially after wet winter which we've had or sort of had certainly over the last few years so i mean if you you can get out there and obviously do a, a little bit of uh, general lawn prepping you know you might have to get the uh, the scarifier out and get rid of some yeah, of that yeah all so, the rakers yeah. Yeah. Um, i can yeah. remember yeah back breaking uh, as it is <laughs> it's hard hard work but yeah. i have done it a few times yeah. and it does yeah. it? You're, yeah. i'm always amazed at how much mm. sort of moss you pull out even in the patches but you Indeed. don't even know it's growing indeed that's it i, I think it's it's just combined i mean i think it's important that remember it, once we get into the, the you know the late spring and early summer we do get dry spells obviously moss by nature will sort of die out anyway yep. because especially if you've used uh, the uh, the mobat you've got a nice strong uh, sward of, of uh, roots of the the turf there really getting down there so yeah i think keep addressing that and keep keep the lawnmower going and uh, obviously just in, enjoy the lawn as well and if you have to do any reseeding i was gonna say yeah, down by my allotment gate i've got a few patches of mud if <laughs> okay. my Again, can I re-say them yet? Yeah, no, it's it's perfect time again. I always think April, April showers, propagation months. That's when I was at college. We always taught that April is a really good month. You get warm, warming temperatures, a warm soil plenty of moisture around so yeah so maybe if you've got patches over there then get a get a rake rake it over disturb the soil maybe get some um, bit of john in his uh, seed and cutting compost yep. if you've got some of that hand just sieve that over the area and and sieve it so it goes into the existing lawn around it as well so you blend so when you come to put your lawn seed down if you're using sort of a general purpose johnson seed just apply that nice and thickly remember you when you're applying lawn seed you're applying half to actually grow and half perhaps to feed the birds so make um, sure you <laughs> yeah because yeah, uh, well uh, this is something i was going to ask you about chris because um when i sow my bird seed yes definitely the you see the birds on it the next day but am i right in thinking i'm meant to put the seed on top of the compost because mm. I, I, I can't mix it in with the compost and sort of hide the seed that way no unfortunately it, it, it does needs always the light does it, it to germinate it always seems to do better on the on the soil which is obviously a problem because obviously it then dries out so you do need to get the the watering can or the hose pipe out where they don't have you know, a fine rose or a, an attachment where you can sort of shower over there but uh, in this time of the year once we're you know once those temperatures sort of hit sort of 16 18 degrees then germination should be about 10 days so they should move quite quickly Okay, um, so yeah. um, don't have to water it for too long. No, uh, no Although indeed. presumably with all new grown plants, mm. um, you're best to water it throughout the first season. Most definitely, yeah. That would be a good rule of thumb. And remember, when the, when your lawn seed has come through and it's probably about f- three or four inches tall, then get a nice pair of sharp uh, shears and just take the tips off. Just tip the... the, 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 the don't you try and avoid running your lawnmower over that little area if you can. Okay. Get a pair of shears just to take the, the tips out to encourage the plants to till from the bottom to produce new shoots from the base, which then you'll start to get a nice, thick 
bit of new uh, newborn. Chris, I'm so looking forward to uh, our next show. Um, a couple of years ago, Manos um, from Growth Technology mm. came in and uh, did a talk about how to look after orchids, and I listened to the talk and I came away with a few really simple but good ideas. And this year, for the first year ever, all three of my orchids have come into flower Fantastic. at the same time. Wow. Well, that's um, good. They're looking really good. I'm really pleased with them. Um, any sort of things that we should be mm. thinking about for houseplants this time of the year? Yeah, houseplants in general. Um, yes, I think uh, it's, this is the time of the year when we start to think about as the days are getting longer, obviously warmer, maybe some of them might need a repot. So uh, I think a lot of your foliage plants might need just checking. So obviously the easiest way to do that or... Maybe the easiest way, depending on the size of your, your house plant, is obviously check uh, the base, the drainage hole, see if there's roots coming out there. Maybe if you can, carefully knock the plant out of its pot just to establish what sort of stage of root growth you've got. And if it's looking like the, the pot is completely full of roots, then the time has come to move the plant up a, a couple of pot sizes. Um, generally, foliage plants and some of your flowering plants will benefit from that. Um, it'll just give them a new lease of life. It'll give them some more space to grow in. So hopefully it'll increase a bit of bulk, especially on your on your foliage plants. But also, more importantly, keep the plant nice and healthy. It'll keep it nice and strong. I'm thinking about compost. Mm. Can I use my Jack's magic on my house plants, or you do must. I need a proper <laughs> I, house plant compost? Yeah, I, I think house plants is probably worth just maybe either go for a house plant compost, or if you if you use a multi-purpose compost, get yourself some uh, some like perlite. Okay, uh, just mix, to mix in with it yeah, and lighten just, it up just a bit. That's it. It can be the trouble is some of these uh, more uh, general purpose composts are a little bit on the heavy side. I think houseplants are a little bit more delicate, shall we say, around the root zone, so they would benefit from that. So, uh, yeah, maybe 10% perlite to uh, to a multi-purpose compost and lighten it up, you know, work it well through your fingers so it, it, it feels quite spongy and not too wet. Presumably, are there sort of ericaceous houseplants? Do we have to consider that with any houseplants? We do, yes. Good point. Um, yes, yeah, so you've got the likes of uh, gardenias, and yep. um, I think probably gardenias. Stephanotis are sort of borderline um, acidic as well, but gardenias especially. Uh, and obviously, if you go for, for things like African violets, they have a special compost as well. So, yeah, have a little look at... Uh, citrus plants as well, don't they? That's I mean, it. The, the, so, uh, mm. I guess the rule of thumb then might be that if you're going to repot your house plant, pay yeah. a little bit of attention to yeah. what you're going to pot it in uh, it's a, up yeah. with. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, look, look out for any specialist compost. If you've got a nice collection of citrus or you've got quite a few uh, gardenias and, uh, and other such plants which need those, maybe worth investing in a bag of that well, compost would, would make a lot of not a lot of sense. And then hopefully your gardenias will yeah. flower again soon and give you that lovely scent in your house. They will. They're, they're, they're a tricky plant, I guardians. I love them, but they can be a bit, bit bit tricky. They need humidity. They need moisture in the air as well, which can be a bit, bit difficult. But for those houseplants which don't need repotting, maybe you could really start uh, feeding your plants at this time of the year. So have a problem. And that's Baby Bio. I mean, that's the one that yep. I've <laughs> seen on the shelves all my life. <laughs> it's, it's a classic um, it is, and it's really good. And it's—I mean—it was developed in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, it was developed in uh, in uh, Chesant down in in Hertfordshire, um, and it tied in with Rochester's houseplants. They did a whether they were over the time they were the main houseplant suppliers to the florists and uh, soon garden centres. And uh, they were they manufactured Baby Bio on the basis of a, a high nitrogen feed. 
So, okay, so remind me, nitrogen makes the foliage grow well, that's doesn't it? it? Yeah, spot on. So you've got the likes of Swiss cheese plants, rubber plants, skin dapsis, all the, the foliage plants which are so popular now once again will benefit from those sort of feeds. And uh, on a regular basis, I, w- I mean, I would be feeding once every seven to ten days from now right through to sort of September, October. So working with the the, the extended day length. And that's with rainwater over tap water, and is there any sort of tepid, is it, as well? Yeah, te- tepid water is always good. And yeah, rainwater would be even better, especially on your, your ericaceous sort of plants, too. But uh, it's not, you know, it's not the be all and end all if you can't uh, or you haven't got the rainwater it's saved. Essential. It's not essential. But no, but giving them water probably is essential. It is. <laughs> yeah, but as I say, we, we as, as a, the nature of, of gardeners, we tend to be overzealous with the watering. So, you know, if you can, try and keep the plants on a, a fairly, give them a really good water in, especially if you're re- repotting, and then let the oxygen get to those roots in between waterings. Okay, thank you, Chris. Okay. So, Chris, our next show, what are we going to be covering? So, it's really exciting, actually, because we've got uh, Manos from Growth Technology, no okay. less, with us, and we're going to be talking orchids, but we'll also be looking at other house plants as well. We'll try and keep it a, a very indoor edition of the podcast. Excellent. That sounds like fun. Our thanks today goes to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music for our show. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.